Children are dismissed at this time uh, to Children's Church. Uh, Take your Bibles, if you would, and open up to Romans uh, chapter 16 this morning. We're going to be in Romans chapter 16, and we're looking at a section of Scripture uh, where Paul gives uh, thanks to a number of different friends and partners in ministry, a number of people that have worked with him, if you will. And uh, so we're going to read verses 1 through 16. Follow along. Uh, please forgive me. There are a lot of names, and you know how that goes uh, sometimes. I commend to you our sister Phoebe, a servant at the church of Sancrie, that you may welcome her in the Lord in the way worthy of the saints and help her in whatever she may need from you, for she has been a patron of many and of myself as well. Greet Prisca and Aquila, my fellow workers in Christ Jesus, who risk their necks for my life to whom not only I give thanks, but all the churches of the Gentiles give thanks as well. Greet also the house, the church in their house. Greet my beloved uh, Epaphanatus, who was the first convert to Christ in Asia. Greet Mary, who has worked hard for you. Greet Andronicus and Junia, my kinsmen and my fellow prisoners. They are well known to the apostles and they were in Christ before me. Greet Ampliatus, my beloved in the Lord. Greet Urbanus, our fellow worker in Christ, and my beloved uh, Statues. Uh, Greet Apelles, who is approved in Christ. Greet those whom belong to the family of Aristobulus, my kinsman. Greet my kinsman Herodian. Greet those in the Lord who belong to the family of Narcissus. Greet those workers in the Lord, uh, Tryphenea and Tryphosa. Greet the beloved Persis, who has worked hard in the Lord. Greet Rufus, chosen in the Lord, and also his mother, who has been a mother to me as well. Greet Anasinicritus, uh, Phlegon, Hermes, Patrobas, Hermas, and the brothers who are with them. Greet Philologus, Julia, Nereus, and his sister, and Olympus, and all the saints who are with them. Greet one another with a holy kiss. All the churches of Christ greet you. Let's pray this morning as we get ready to begin our sermon. Our gracious God and Heavenly Father, Lord, we just ask that you would have uh, things from us here in your word as we spend time in it, that you would instruct us, that you would... Uh, guide us this morning, uh, that you would give me the words to say as we look through this passage of Scripture. And we just thank you for how you raise up uh, the church, how you raise up many people from different lives and backgrounds and, and economic statuses and social groups. And, and Lord, you save a people from every tongue, tribe, and nation. And we thank you for that. We thank you for the unity that you bring to the church and the partnership in the gospel that you bring to the church. And we pray that you would build that here in our church as well. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So if any of you are planning on having more kids and you are looking for Bible names, this is a great passage of Scripture for you. Uh, pick one of the really hard ones so that no one can ever say it. Uh, honestly, I almost thought about either skipping this passage or just breezing right through it and going on and, and connecting it to a larger section and, and finishing out the book uh, quicker. 
But as I got to thinking about it, I thought, you know, it is Memorial Sunday. Uh, it is Memorial Day tomorrow. And so we're all thinking about memorials and remembering people and particularly our soldiers. And I, I just began thinking about this passage and saying, you know, in a sense, this is Paul's memorial. Uh, Paul not giving a memorial for the dead or remembering the dead, but Paul remembering and giving thanks for people that were connected to him and in many cases, in some ways, had partnered with him. Uh, It's a great reminder to us that the book of Romans was written to a particular church in Rome filled with people. People Paul had met from other places in the Roman Empire. Now, he didn't know everyone at the church in Rome, but he had connections there. It's a great reminder that as Paul gives us all of this rich theology throughout the book of Romans, this theology is never abstract. It's written to people. It's written to real life situations. And so I find it kind of cool that a bunch of people that we know nothing about they got their names in the Bible. How cool is that? How, how would you like to be that one that Paul just at the end of his letter throws your name in there and now for 2,000 years and until the Lord returns, your name is written in Scripture. We don't know what you did. Thank goodness you're not one of the ones who's listed as you know having abandoned uh, the, the, the flock or uh, Alexander the metal worker Paul mentions who caused me great harm. You're not one of the bad guys that gets the one-off mention. You're one of the good guys. And this is a reminder that Paul in his ministry didn't do ministry alone. Uh, Paul, we sometimes think of, and I've loved Paul since I was a little kid, and sometimes we look at the heroes of the Bible and we, we, we treat them almost like superheroes, not like normal people. And we think of Paul as the superhero apostle, the superhero missionary. But you read a section like this and you realize he didn't travel alone in most places. And he didn't do the work of ministry alone as he traveled and planted churches and discipled churches. That should be a reminder to us. No one in the body of Christ should be doing the work alone. You know that saying, no person, no man is an island. And it is so true inside the church and especially for those of us who are involved or seek to be involved in ministry. So this is Paul's memorial to the saints. He's remembering what they've done. And I want to just kind of break it down into three sections today. And and we're going to go thematically. So just want to kind of highlight who is memorialized as the first section The second section, we're just going to kind of go back over it again and say, why are they memorialized? And then the third section, we're going to make some applications and say, okay, what are things that we should remember in the life of the church? People that are doing certain things, people, uh, what kinds of things should we look for when we honor the saints? And that really is what Paul is doing here. He's honoring saints and fellow workers. And this, again, Paul's memorial to the saints here, it serves to highlight one of the reasons of why he's excited to get to Rome. He wants to preach the gospel there. He wants to impart to them a spiritual gift. But he also has some longtime friends that he has met other places in Asia. And they've returned to Rome or gone on to Rome. And he wants to get there and fellowship with them. So it's kind of like, you know, when you have like a mutual friend 
and you meet someone new for the first time and you're talking and you suddenly go, wow, I didn't know you know this person. And then the person goes, yeah, I went to college with them. Really? I had my first job with them. And, and all of a sudden you have this camaraderie because you know a third person. I think there's a sense that Paul has a camaraderie with Rome, with the people that he doesn't know, because already he knows some people that are there or have gone there. And so it just serves to to knit their hearts together even quicker. And so this memorial to the saints is important, I think, not just as sort of Paul tacking on his last thoughts in a letter. Although, of course, it is a letter. And like many of us, when we write letters, we do put maybe a few odds and ends, say hi to so-and-so, those sorts of things uh, on the end of the letters. That's even if we write letters. Now it's maybe emails or or texts or, or even shorter than that. So, first this morning, who is memorialized? Well, I want to break this into another category. I want to first notice the number of women who make the list. This is kind of exciting, and we should pay attention to this. We talked about this a little bit in Sunday school this morning. We were looking at Acts uh, uh, 17, and two different times it said, not a few number of women came to believe. So, meaning a large number of women in uh, Thessalonica, and then in Berea, and then one woman in particular is mentioned by name, getting saved in Paul's ministry in Athens. And so uh, it's fascinating that the Greco-Roman culture was not primarily a culture that honored women uh, or cherished women or treated them as equal, and yet inside the church, they seem to be doing just that. They seem to be paying attention to women and noticing women. So, Phoebe is the first one that's mentioned, and you'll see her mentioned in verse 1. I commend to you our sister Phoebe, a servant. So, she's from the church of Sancria, which is just right outside of Corinth. You're close enough, she's probably even part of the church of Corinth, or or maybe one of the house churches of Corinth. It was a, a port city right there near Corinth. And they are to welcome her. Uh, She's on her way to Rome, or perhaps recently arrived in Rome. A couple commentators have speculated that maybe, maybe she was the one that that carried Paul's letter uh, to the Roman church. She's probably a businesswoman, probably did not. We can almost be certain that she didn't travel alone, perhaps with certain servants or employees or guards or or whatever. So she probably has uh, a certain measure of means or of funds or of money. But she's a sister uh, in the Lord and a fellow believer. You'll see here that she has a role in the body of the church. She's a servant, a servant of Christ at uh, Chenkria. And you see that mentioned there uh, as well. And we'll return to that. Uh, We do know that there were some uh, women merchants in the ancient world. And we know some of them became Christian. So Phoebe might be one of them. But we know in Acts 16, Lydia was a woman who accepted the gospel and welcomed Paul in, and it says she was a dyer of purple goods, uh, which is sort of like the, the modern-day equivalent of, of being... Uh, the best analogy I can think of is like owning a car dealership and selling high-end Lexuses. Like purple cloth was, was rich stuff. And so if you're in the purple cloth trading business, you might not be like a millionaire or a billionaire, but, but you're pretty well-to-do. Like the people buying from you probably have more money than you have, But if you have inventory in any of those things and the product that you're turning over, uh, this is not someone just running a cheap leather goods shop. Uh, So Lydia was a businesswoman. Phoebe may have been one as well. Then we have uh, Priscilla, or here she's named uh, Prisca, probably a shortening of the word. 
uh, and her husband Aquila. And they're that missionary team that connect with Paul. Uh, sometimes even in the Bible Fellowship churches, we talk about Aquila and Priscilla couples, usually a husband and wife who go somewhere uh, maybe to help a local church planter. And we just kind of use that as a name because that's what they did for Paul. So uh, they're mentioned in Acts 18. Uh, it says he found a Jew named Aquila, a native of Pontus, who recently had come from Italy with his wife Priscilla because Claudius had commanded all the Jews to leave Rome and he went to see them. This is Paul that went to see them. So what you have is um, at one point there was a disturbance in Rome among the Jewish uh, synagogues and people there. And uh, one of the Roman historians tells us it was over a man named Crestus, which most people think was a mispronunciation of Christ. So what we think happened is after Pentecost, some people from Rome who had visited Pentecost and got saved went back to the Roman church, started, or excuse me, went back to the Roman synagogue, the Jewish synagogue, started sharing the gospel at the synagogue, and there was a big uproar in the Jewish city. And Claudius the emperor, and Acts has mentioned this, but we also note it, like I said, from secular historians. I think it's Tacitus who mentions it. Uh, he kicks all the Jews out of the city. So Aquila and Priscilla are traveling. Acts 18, they run into Paul. They minister with Paul. But at some point, when the Jews are welcome to go back into Rome, we see, we see here they are back in Rome, and Paul is saying, hey, say hi to them. They also have, have a house church uh, in, he says, give... Um, he says, they're my fellow workers who risk their life, uh, to whom not only I give thanks, but all the churches in, uh, in, yeah, all the churches of the Gentiles give thanks to them. And then verse five, greet also the church in their house. So there's some kind of leadership team. They're involved in the ministry, uh, perhaps Aquila being an elder or something. Priscilla and Aquila are also the ones uh, who led Apollos to the Lord in Acts chapter 18. Apollos was the one who was preaching about John the Baptist. He was waiting for the Messiah, and they pull him aside, and they say, hey, the Messiah has come. His name is Jesus. And then Apollos goes on to minister as well. So they're a well-known couple uh, in the early church. We have this reference to Mary. Now, Mary was an extremely common name, so don't try to connect this to any of the Marys in the Gospel. We, just, we don't know. It could be, but we don't know. It's, it's, Mary is like the name John. Uh, how many people do you know that have the name John? Uh, probably quite a bit. Um, whenever we go to the BFC conference, there's like seven guys named Tim and there's like eight guys named uh, Dave. So it's kind of like that. Mary. Uh, we don't know who it is, but we just know she worked hard for you. She's done something for Rome. She's helped out. Uh, she has taken care of people, perhaps uh, ministered the gospel, maybe in some way shared her home. Uh, just whatever it is, she was working and working for the church. Junia. We have her mentioned, another woman. She's a prisoner of Paul, with Paul at some point. She's a kinsman, meaning she's probably Jewish. Uh, there is a little debate here over how we should understand this. It's possible uh, that Junia should be uh, a male name, meaning something like Junius or Junian. But I think most commentators and translators have said, no, it's, it's in the feminine here. It's Junia. She's a lady. Uh, all we know is that her and Andronicus... They had probably been around Paul at some point, uh, and they were thrown in prison with him. Don't know where. Paul's in prison a number of times. It's pure speculation. But you can imagine sharing a prison cell with someone 
you get to know them pretty close. You suffer something together. You go through some sort of tragedy. Junia would have been special to Paul as well as Andronicus. We have other women mentioned, Tryphenea, Tryphosa, and Perseus. Not really told much about them other than Perseus, who has worked hard in the Lord. I don't think that's a slight on the other two, saying, well, they didn't work hard in the Lord, because Paul didn't specifically say that. He's just running down through the list uh, of people that he knows there and have worked hard in the room, uh, worked hard for the Lord. We have Rufus, and we have Rufus's mother. We don't even know her name. How would you like to go down, moms, as in, in Scripture, as just the mother of so-and-so? Don't even know what Rufus did, but you're just his mom. But here's what's really cool about uh, her. Not only was she a mom to, um, to Rufus, she was like a mother to Paul as well. I kind of, in my mind, picture maybe like a sweet Italian grandmother. I don't know if she was Italian. Maybe she's Asian. Maybe she, uh, maybe she was from Turkey part of Asia. Uh, or maybe she was from Greece. We, we don't know. But just picture this Italian woman. And you know how Italian women are when you come over to their house. And they're like, eat, eat. You're, gonna, you're, gonna, you're too thin. And, and maybe, you know, Paul and Rufus come in one day. And, and she's feeding Rufus. And she's, Paul, you're so skinny. You need some pasta. Eat this. And, you know, taking care of him. Making sure, uh, you know, your clothes are patched. Or your clothes are ripped. Let me sew that for you. Or making sure that he had a bed. Or, you know, Paul, if you don't get a good night's sleep, you're not going to be able to share the gospel. Gospel. You've got to stop staying up so late. Uh, however she was with him, she was obviously had warmed herself onto Paul's heart, treating him like her own son, caring for him uh, as a gentle mother. And, and that's just kind of a, a cool image there. Thinking about Paul, this traveling minister, we don't know anything about his family. Uh, maybe his own mother was dead, maybe not. We, we just don't know. But going to a foreign place and having someone treat you like family. Uh, I know from experience, if you ever talk to missionaries uh, and they go somewhere and there's maybe an older couple on the, the, the mission field and someone who treats their little kids like their own grandkids or like a, a second aunt and uncle, that means something to, to, the minister, uh, to the missionaries, even pastors in churches. And we love it when you guys treat our girls like, like your own kids or like extended family because it just, it just warms our heart and it knits the body together. And so you see Rufus's mom uh, doing that as well. A couple others who are memorialized now, moving on to some of the men. Epaphanatus, first convert in Asia, don't know much about him. We have some individuals and families, verse, 16, uh, verse 9 through 11. Urbanus, a fellow worker. We have Astacus, uh, we have Apelles. Uh, greet those who belong to the family of Aristobulus. Uh, greet my kinsmen the Herodian, and those who belong to the family of Narcissus. So here's what's interesting is, is Paul's not just singling out individuals. He's singling out whole families. Don't know what the connection was. Did they have a meal at Paul's house? Did they help him? Did, did some of the kids help Paul make tents? You know, was it an older family? I don't know at all, but it just, it's, it's exciting to see families were involved in being connected to the church, connected to Paul, connected to the ministry. You have other individuals, verses 14, uh, 15, and 16. You have a whole uh, just list, and he kind of ends this with this, greet one another in with a holy kiss. One more thing that I want to highlight as we're just looking at the names is notice how Paul also has some people who are currently with him who he sends their greetings to Rome with his. So we didn't read this already, but look down at verses 21, 22, and 23. Timothy, my fellow worker, greets you. 
So do Lucius and Jason and uh, Pater, my kinsmen. Don't know if this is the same Jason that was mentioned in Thessalonica uh, when we read this morning in Acts. It's possible uh, that it is, and maybe at some point he traveled with Paul, but we just don't know. Then we have Tertius in verse 22. I, Tertius, who wrote this letter, greet you in the Lord. And then we have Gaius, who is host to me, and the whole church greets you. Erastus, the city treasurer, and our brother Quartus greet you. So here you have someone prominent in the city, the city treasurer, uh, someone on the town council, if you will. They were a Christian and involved in the church. Uh, Tertius, uh, we should just mention, because you might say, well, wait a minute. Uh, I thought Paul wrote this letter. Well, Paul did write the letter, but it was common in the ancient world uh, to dictate or to have someone they call an amanuensis who would write it down for you. Uh, sometimes they had some special training in handwriting. Uh, it just also would be easier for Paul to speak or talk. Uh, Paul probably dictated. Uh, maybe he even, you know, maybe he, did he dictate word for word or did he allow Tertius to maybe say, hey, you know, you should add a word here to make the grammar flow. We don't know. Either way, God used Tertius to see that the first copy of the book of Romans was written down. But it comes as a letter from Paul with the authority of Paul. Paul is the one inspired and carried along by the Holy Spirit. But God uses helpers. You see this in the book of Jeremiah. Uh, You see Baruch. He was a a scribe that worked with Jeremiah and actually wrote some of the scrolls down. But it's still the word of God through the prophet Jeremiah. So don't be disturbed by that. Just note that that's often how letters were written in the ancient world. So that's who's memorialized. Uh, Let's talk about why they're memorialized. So we're going to kind of go back over this. And hopefully this won't be boring and technical now. Uh, We just read a bunch of names. But let's talk about why. Why is it so important? What do they do in the life of the church? Well, Phoebe. Phoebe stands out here. Paul remembers people's service to the Lord, and he remembers Phoebe as a servant. It says, as a servant of the church at Chenkria. So servant here is the word diakonos. It's just the normal word for servant. However, it's also the same word that we get the word deacon from. So there's a little bit of debate here. Well, does Paul mean she was just a servant in a general sense? Like she had a servant's heart? So we might look at someone, they're not actually a deacon in the church, and we might say, hey, wow, you, you serve so well. You've been doing a lot. And, and if we were speaking Greek, you would say diakonos without a formal title. Or does it mean that she was in a little bit more of a formal role being a deacon, perhaps overseeing widows, perhaps uh, spreading church money, making sure that needs are being met, service type needs as the deacons do? I think it's safe to say and best to say that, yes, Phoebe held the position or the role of deacon in the church of Chenkria. And I say this for, for two reasons. First, it says that Phoebe is a servant. And that word for servant there is in the masculine. So, so Greek words can have a masculine or a feminine ending. Sorry for being a little technical here. But, but typically, if you're describing someone, say she's a woman, and you're going to say she's a lovely woman, you're going to use the ending on there 
that is a feminine ending for lovely. If you're going to say she's a servant or if you're going to say uh, she is a, uh, my mind is blanking, a carpenter, uh, you're going to use like a feminine ending on it. What's interesting here is that the word deacon has the masculine ending. So Paul is kind of doing some bad grammar, which suggests to me that perhaps Paul is talking about an actual role, an actual office of deacon. Second thing, it says that she is a servant of the church of Sancria. Now, this could just mean that she's from that church and she's served there and now she's in Rome. But but I tend to think putting the two of these things together, it means she was in some kind of role as a deacon at that church. And, And the role of the deacons is not teaching and preaching the word of God. The role of the deacons is to make sure that needs are met. And when you look in 1 Timothy, you look in chapter 3, you actually see that that husbands and wives both have to meet qualifications to be a deacon. Which is kind of fascinating because when you look at the qualifications for elders, only the men have to meet the qualification. So this suggests to us that that when there were deacons, when there were husbands and wives, they worked together. And perhaps as well, there were ladies that were deacons. And Phoebe seems to be one of these. We do see in some early church history outside of Scripture some lists and names of women who were deacons. She's also described as a patron of many perhaps meaning most likely that she has funds of her own that she gives out, that she's taking care of people, that she's supporting people. A patron would have been some kind of rich person that passes on funds or sustains other people. Paul might not mean this in a technical sense, but the way that she is serving is she is giving of her gifts and her abilities to take care of the needs of others. And she's doing it in some kind of role that is recognized by the church and recognized by Paul. This isn't just, you know, keep the women in the back where nobody can see them and the men will do all the work. The ladies are involved actively in the life of the church to the level that they can be called a deacon, a diakonos. There's a story of two, uh, Pliny the Younger, I think it was, kills and martyrs two women in the early church and they were actually considered Uh, deaconesses uh, by then using the feminine form there of the title. But here she's called a deacon. You also have Priscilla and Aquila. Uh, And as a couple, as a husband and wife, they engage sacrificially in ministry and risk their lives. This is kind of important because I think we often think about, um, you know, Paul, so far as we know, was single. And he says in 1 Corinthians 7, you know, sometimes it's better not to marry if that's not what God has called you to because you can devote yourself to the Lord. But here's a husband and wife that that together devote themselves to the Lord. And so I think it it brings a challenge to, to us, to those of us that are married. What can you and your spouse do for the Lord? Uh, Maybe some of you who are in retirement or nearing retirement need to think not just about retiring and not doing anything, but retiring from your regular job and thinking, what are the jobs that I can do for the Lord? Maybe I can help in church more. Maybe I can volunteer uh, in a ministry, rescue mission or something like that. There are others who pack up and they go and they help in a, on a mission field. They, they go and they take an early retirement at 55 and they take 10 or 15 years and they actually go to the mission field. And rather than raising support, they live uh, off of their retirement. 
John Piper has spoken on a number of occasions to, to retired people and said, you know, don't waste your retirement. Don't think that you've done your, your bit for the Lord and now you're done. Um, God may be able to use you as an Aquila and Priscilla couple. They risked their necks for the Lord. Uh, just common expression, but they put their life on the line. You know what it is to stick your neck out, to risk it, to put it all there, uh, to, to put yourself in some danger. He says, I give thanks, but all the churches of the Gentiles give thanks. Why would the churches of the Gentiles give thanks? Because they've been involved in spreading the gospel to the Gentiles. They've been involved in Paul's ministry. They've been involved in sharing the word of God. They took Apollos aside uh, and, and they instructed him. And he was able to go out and be a better minister of the gospel. And they're being evangelistic right there with Paul. And, and I, I think we should say both Aquila and Priscilla together. We have, we have no hints here that Apollos was doing all the work and she was just tagging along. They are both in the thick of the fight for gospel ministry. And that is commendable. Paul does, in a general sense, remember people who worked hard for the Lord. And this should just be motivation for us. Whatever you do, do unto the Lord. Work hard for the Lord. So he says, Mary, verse 6, who has worked hard for the Lord. Now, it seems that, that she is perhaps someone that's already in the church of Rome. Perhaps she had traveled at one point and met Paul. Perhaps Paul only knew of her. Uh, through word of mouth, people saying, hey, uh, let me tell you about this lady in the church, Mary, and all that she does uh, for that church. Uh, But he says, greet her who has worked hard for you. We have Andronicus and Junia, again, a male and a female, maybe husband and wife, but but we don't know for sure. They're kinsmen, which probably means they're Jewish, and fellow prisoners. They are well known to the apostles and they were in Christ before me. So what Paul means here is these two people were saved. They had become Christians before Paul became a Christian. And the fact that they were well known by the apostles suggests that maybe at some point they were in or around or associated with the Jerusalem church. These people had a good reputation. Here, this language of, of being well known, they were esteemed. They were, they were noticeable. People thought their work and what they had done was commendable. We should remember people who have been thrown in prison for the Lord. Every now and then you'll see an email chain or a Facebook thing go around and it'll say, pray for so-and-so in some foreign country. Usually lately it's been like Turkey or Iran or or somewhere in the Middle East. And they'll talk about pastor so-and-so who's in prison for the sake of the gospel. We should remember people who have been put in prison, particularly those of us who are in America. I mean, that is so foreign to us, and sometimes it's so easy to just not pay attention to that. We have brothers and sisters in Christ. These people are our brothers and sisters in Christ, and they're in jail for the sake of the faith. Pray for them, honor them, remember them. Pray that God would use their time in prison. We should certainly pray for their release. But if God doesn't want them released from prison, pray that they endure. Pray that they're not discouraged. Pray that God would be glorified. Pray that the guards would hear about Jesus and believe in him based on the behavior and the character of the prisoners. There's a lot of things you could pray for. 
But, 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 I, but I, put, I, I highlight this to say we should honor, just like we honor military veterans, you know, and we say, you did a great service. You put your life on the line. You think about, like, John McCain, right? Five years in a, in a Vietnam Cong prison. And, and he's well-respected. And, and even in the political day and age where nobody in politics get along, you see people from the other political party at least honoring John McCain for that aspect of his life. So you, so you see that, and we're thinking about that tomorrow on Memorial Day, and, and you should say, how much more should we in the church honor people who have gone through those sorts of things. And I don't mean in a phony way, and I don't mean in a way that, that puffs them up or makes them better than us, but, but we realize what they've sacrificed. And if you're honest with yourself, and you see and read about some of the things these people go through, you have to ask yourself, could I really endure the way that they endured? We have it so comfortable here in the U.S. How would we respond? So in the same way we honor our soldiers on Memorial Day, I say to you inside the church, let's make sure we remember and appropriately memorialize people that have given their lives for the faith, people that have been imprisoned for the faith, people that have sacrificed themselves for the saints. We don't put them up on a pedestal or make them superior Christians or think they're somehow, um, you know, we, we don't make them like, Roman Catholic saints where, where you pray to them or something like that, but you honor them and you say, God, use them and you show respect for that. So you see that here in our passage. Again, one more person who worked hard for the Lord. Greet Perseus, uh, verse 10, who has worked hard for the Lord. Then you have Timothy as well, the fellow worker with Paul. Paul commends Timothy as a fellow worker. This is the guy that, that Paul has basically mentored. And, and what's fascinating here about this discussion is Paul can take people who, who are younger than him, who have more to learn to him, who he is raising up. And what does he call these people? Fellow workers, co-workers. Like this is not the boss, the executive who looks down at all the people in accounting or, you know, the boss who comes out onto the floor of, of, of your uh, welding job and looks down on you because he went to college and all you have uh, is the blue collar job. And well, I'm the boss of this company and you'll do what I say. I mean, this is Paul treating people as, as equals. They're their fellow workers. I work right alongside these people. Yes, Paul is an apostle. That, that gives him a, a bit of prominence in the church. But, but he's not the CEO managing a company. He's serving the Lord. Timothy is serving the Lord. Aquila and Priscilla are serving the Lord. Phoebe is serving the Lord. And, and Paul realizes that in the body, all the gifts come together. He tells us this in 1 Corinthians. For the working of the body. For the building up of the body. What we see in this greeting here is Paul practically practicing those things that he's told us about the doctrine of the church and the division of spiritual gifts. And so he thanks God for those people who are doing things and using their gifts. Paul doesn't say, I'm going to come to Rome because you need me there because you've never had an apostle there. And how awesome would it be for you 
to sit under my teaching of the Gospel. Now, he wants to impart to them a spiritual gift, but you see a humility in Paul. I think sometimes in our world you can, you can see how peop, what people think of themselves by how they treat others who would typically regard it, be regarded as less than themselves. It's interesting, and I'm not commending everything about the person, but it's interesting, a story I heard about Marco Rubio uh, when he was campaigning. Uh, I guess it was the last presidential election. They ushered him in the back through um, you know, the kitchen of the hotel. And, and they're trying to, you know, they're trying to like rush him in and rush him through and get him out onto the stage or wherever he needed to be. And they're, uh, I'm sure the Secret Service are like, come on, come on, hustling and bustling. And, and he stopped and he met the workers and he shook their hands. And I think he even got their names or whatever. Now, you might cynically say, well, that's a politician and that's what they do and how they garner votes. But according to what I had heard uh, reported, he, he said to them, I have something along the lines, I appreciate what you do because my dad used to work in a hotel. My dad used to work in the kitchen or work long hours. Or in other words, it sounds like he didn't think that he was better than them. Like, well, hey, I'm the big shot senator here. He's like, you know what? I grew up just like you. America gave me opportunities. I'm thankful for that. Something to think about as you think about Memorial Day tomorrow. You know, what are we thankful for in our country? But more importantly, in the life of the church, are we thankful in this kind of way that Paul is thankful? doesn't see himself as better than others. doesn't see himself as a super apostle. He's thankful for these people that have worked hard in the ministry. Paul is, in a sense, saying, I can't do it without you. It takes a team. That gives us some things to learn. First, what do we learn then from Paul's remembrances? First, be thankful for those who serve the Lord. Be thankful for anyone, anytime, anywhere, who's taking their time and their energy to serve the Lord. When was the last time you said thanks to someone who serves in ministry? Particularly the jobs that are often kind of the thankless jobs. You know, the, the nursery workers who, who clean up poop and even throw up on some Sundays. That can sometimes be a pretty thankless job. The person that cleans the church so everything looks nice. That sometimes is a thankless job. For every missionary that goes out on the field, I think it's something like eight or nine people that need to be in support roles to see that they can get their work done. And it's kind of true in the church, right? I stand up here on Sundays. I've prepared a message that you've been gracious to call me as your pastor uh, and set aside that task for me. But there are so many people that really make this church run the rest of the week. People that make sure the light bulbs are changed. People that make sure the sound system is going to work. People that make sure uh, everything is cleaned. Uh, you know, I can't obviously serve in the nursery and preach at the same time. I'm not that talented. I can't be in two places at once. So there are so many things that make the church go. And sometimes... In our culture, in our day and age, and, and just in the way we think, we say, hey, well, you know, Paul or the big shot person or the CEO type figure in the church, they're the ones that make it go. But it's the servants who make the church go. It's the Phoebes, a, women, a woman 
probably not well respected in her culture, probably looked down upon, maybe been insulted at times in her life for being a woman, much like sometimes happens in our culture today yet even still. And here she is, a trusted member of the church. Here's a Priscilla working right along with her husband, co-leading the Bible studies maybe even, discipling others. Do we give thanks for these kinds of things? Be thankful for people who partner in ministry. Parents, I would encourage you, you know, if someone helps or ministers to your kids so that you can sit in church, uh, be thankful. Don't be stingy in praising people who help run the church. I would say also, remember missionaries. Give thanks to them. Send them a note or a card. A little encouragement can go a long way in a period of discouragement. A number of years ago, I started doing this. Uh, almost every time someone gives me an encouraging note, uh, I save it and I have a little box in my office that I put it in. And I don't think I've ever gone back and reread them. But sometimes on those days of just being discouraged, just knowing there's a stack of notes in there of encouragement is actually encouraging. And, and, and I would encourage you not just to send an email to a missionary, but send them a note, send them a card. When Sarah's, Sarah, plug your ears. When you're away at Victory Valley, when she's away at Victory Valley this summer, uh, send her a nice little box of snacks to encourage her. Uh, we always loved getting those when I was on staff. Um, send her enough that she has some to share uh, with her friends. But encourage people in that way. Uh, second, we can learn also work hard for the Lord wherever the Lord calls you. Uh, all of these people were not Paul. They're not famous. They don't become big shots or names in the life of the church, but they all had some sort of impact. I heard a story from a seminary professor not too long ago, and he's repeated this a number of times, and he said in one of his classes he asked people to name the pastor that um, had the greatest impact on a student's life, and he asked just the whole class. And he said almost none of them mentioned their local pastor they mentioned big names, people that have podcasts and sermons online. And, and, and I'm not saying that to like praise myself or, or anything like that. I'm just saying don't forget the local people. Sunday school teachers who plant a seed, you never know how God is going to use that. You want to know two of the people that probably had the biggest impact in my life in terms of, of establishing a path for ministry? First, it was my first youth leader who invited me to preach a sermon at a youth group event we were going to do. Like, I only did a six-minute sermon, um, and I always make the joke, and yeah, you wish my sermons were that short today. Um, But someone, and you wouldn't know him, you wouldn't know his name, he doesn't stand out in a crowd, he doesn't have a big ministry, but he impacted a life. And I'm preaching here today, and you're the benefit of one person that asked me to do one thing. I had another youth leader uh, when we were out on Guam for a while, and they used to do really intense Bible studies, like a 45-minute Bible study, and we were, like, turning all over Scripture. Like, it was not... We did games, right? But it wasn't just, like, the youth group where it's, like, all fun and games, and then, okay, let's sit down, do do a five-minute Bible thing, and uh, be like Daniel, and then go home. Like, it was a real exegetical pouring over the scriptures and I was hungry for that as a teenager 
And that impacted my life. They left Guam. They were actually in the Air Force out there. They transferred somewhere else and went on. Uh, don't, not even sure what state they're in anymore. You wouldn't know his name. You wouldn't be able to spot him in a crowd. He never wrote a book. But he had 50 kids in that ministry that sat under him. Some of us are serving the Lord because of them. You don't know how Paul can or how God can use a Rufus's mom. You don't know how Paul can use an Aquila and a Priscilla. Sometimes we have these dreams. I want to have start a big ministry. I want to have a huge impact. I want, I want our church to, to be online and, and to be on TV and to have a radio program. And, and, and wouldn't that be awesome if we could reach thousands, tens of thousands of people? And that would be success. That's not necessarily God's view of success. Give thanks for the people that have touched your life. Maybe this week you have someone that you can write a thank you note to a Sunday school teacher that led you to the Lord. Whoever it is, acknowledge them like Paul acknowledges them. Finally, two concluding thoughts. Ministry requires a team. We see Paul evidencing that here. We see him putting into practice all those things he's told us in his other books about the body working together. We need, as a church, to work as a team. And then finally, Remember the saints and welcome other saints. That's the only imperative, actually, in this passage. Verse 16, chapter 16, verse 2, talking about Phoebe. Welcome her in the Lord in a way worthy of the saints and help her in whatever she may need from you. That should be how we respond when a brother or sister in Christ comes to visit our church. Maybe it's a missionary. Maybe it's someone moving to the area. Maybe it's someone who has a ministry somewhere else. Do we welcome them? in the Lord and help them with whatever they need. Let's close in a word of prayer. Our gracious God and Heavenly Father, Lord, we come into your presence today and we just pray that you would teach us and instruct us and, and just a, a kind of a hodgepodge of names here, Lord, and yet things that you would have us learn uh, from the way Paul treated people, the way Paul responded. And uh, I pray, Lord, that the gospel would shape us and that we would uh, be loving towards others and not think of ourselves uh, as better than others, just as Christ did not think of himself as better than others, uh, but humbled himself to, to die on the cross. And we just praise you for your work. In Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen. You could stand with us for our last song.